kindergarten teacher always introduces the first concert of the year to her parents by saying, don't blink or you'll miss the whole song. I remember that advice as we read through the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. We're still in chapter 1, and this is our second week. So this is a follow-up to what Diane preached last week when Jesus got rid of the demons in the synagogue. Jesus wastes no time telling his story, and in his urgency comes through, even when we decide to divide his gossip gospel into neat little packages. Don't blink, or you'll miss the whole story of Mark. Spreading the events of a single day over several weeks allows us to study those events very closely. However, we still get the impression that the people following Jesus had difficulty keeping up. We've already found Mark's favorite word, and it's the word immediately. Perhaps you've noticed or didn't notice, but I'm going to tell you about it. Mark uses immediately 12 times in the first chapter alone, immediately, in urgency. So just in case you need to catch your breath or made the mistake of blinking, let's just remember what we know so far in Mark. First, Jesus calls four fishermen to follow him, and they left their boats and nets and immediately followed him. They came to Capernaum, a small fishing village where the four apparently lived. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach with authority. A demon-possessed man challenged him and named him the Holy One, or in other words, the Messiah. But Jesus told the unclean spirit to be silent and to leave the man and the Spirit obeyed immediately. It's still the Sabbath, still the same day, and Jesus and his disciples had left the synagogue after this encounter. The next part of the story happens in four distinct scenes over the next few hours. Hear the word of the Lord as the story continues in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning at verse 29. Here, scene one. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up. When the fever then left her, and she began to serve them immediately. Maybe they went to Simon's house because it was the closest to the synagogue, or perhaps it was the largest house with room for guests, or possibly Simon just headed to his own house because he liked to take the lead. However they came to Simon's house, we really don't know. We learned something about him, though, and that is that he has a family and that his mother-in-law is ill. Simon tells Jesus this immediately, perhaps to explain why she does not come to greet the guests who have just arrived, or maybe to warn those guests that she is ill and they should not be around her because they could become ill. But yet, Jesus goes to her and with the authority within him, 
takes the fever away. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't say a word. He only puts out his hand and touches the hand of Simon's mother-in-law. The fever is gone immediately. As Jesus brings her to her feet, the verb is identical to the one Mark uses in chapter 16. Did you notice it? It describes Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. He lifts her up, just as Jesus was lifted up. And the mother-in-law's response to this miraculous healing is also immediate. She gets busy and starts to serve them. Not because she's the woman and it's her job. No. Simon's mother-in-law sees Jesus for whom Jesus is, and she becomes his first deacon, reminding us that Jesus saw himself as a servant too. Later in his ministry, Jesus will tell the disciples, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now, scene two. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured them. He made them whole again. That touch made them whole. And he cast out the demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. As the Sabbath closes, we see that we cannot keep a secret in the small town. By now, everyone knows what's happening at Simon's house. And many people have already heard that Simon's mother-in-law has been healed. As soon as the Sabbath ends, a stream of people show up at Simon's door, asking for healing, asking Jesus to do for them what he saw him do in the synagogue. Notice how Mark frames this story. Early in the day, Jesus performed a single exorcism in a very public place. Later in the day, he performs a single act of healing in a very private place, his friend's home. Now the worlds collide. The private home becomes a public space as Jesus heals and casts out unclean spirits for the many who come to Simon's door. And notice also that there's a clear distinction between healing and exorcism in Mark's gospel. Mark will maintain this distinction throughout the coming chapters. The most important aspect of this difference is that Jesus never touches someone to expel an unclean spirit, but offers healing through the power of touch. Many years ago, Joanne Taylor told a story that was re has, she had received a complaint from a church member about the loud conversation in the narthex before worship. She was perplexed until she talked with the dear lady who had taken it upon herself to greet the people at the door. Well, the ones that were at the door 
were hard of hearing. They were seniors. And so she was greeting them in a loud voice so they could hear her. Hmm. And so when she figured this out, she smiled. She went back to the woman who had complained and said, she's greeting them and these people are hard of hearing. It's not that she's trying to disturb what's going on. She's welcoming everyone into the service. See, this woman's hugging ministry was an example of the intimacy of relationship that the human touch in Scripture represents. God created us for relationship and nearness to God's self. And that is why Jesus became human, to make God's real love real and tangible and touchable. The story continues in verse 35. This is scene three. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and he went out into the desert, deserted place, and there he prayed. This is one of only three times in Mark's gospel where Jesus comes, goes off to be alone in prayer. Do you find that being alone in prayer gets you closer to God? Being alone gave Jesus an opportunity to be closer to God. We read about Jesus going off alone to pray. We read about him feeding the 5,000 and finally in the Garden of Gethsemane where he goes to pray. These are pivotal moments in Mark's story. And there's one thing in common about these places that God goes, Jesus goes. He goes into darkness. Even Jesus struggled to find his purpose at the beginning of his ministry, but he knew how to discover it. He prayed. The one who knew God's heart better than anyone still set aside time to be alone with God in the darkness to keep God's will in his extended prayer time. We are called to service, called to community, and sometimes called into the darkness. Here we meet God and sometimes our fears face to face. In the solitude and darkness, we find our purpose to learn to trust God's will. The scouts among us this morning also are called to service. They're called to be trustworthy, to be loyal, to be helpful, to be friendly, to be kind and obedient, courteous and cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. They, too, are called in service, just as we are. Keep in mind that going out alone in the middle of the night in unfamiliar territory would have been a dangerous thing for Jesus to do. There were no street lamps to light the way, no motion detector f flog lights, no 
cell phones, no connectivity, no GPS to find your way back. But alone in the dark wilderness wasn't the safest place in the first century. For Jesus, though, it was the only place where he could talk one-on-one with the Father without interruption. Scene four. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Simon and his friends must have expected that Jesus would keep on doing what he had done before. You know, healing the sick, casting out demons, and meeting the needs presented to him. So far, the plan had seemed to work. Why change it? They had, been, they had given up fishing, but fishing for people wasn't so bad at all. They could work from home instead of from the boats, and it would be great. Come on, Jesus, let's watch you do all the heavy lifting. The crowds are clamoring. You don't want to disappoint your public now, do you, Jesus? That's not what Jesus had in mind for his disciples. And they had a choice to face each day, too. They had missed the point. They had thought that Jesus was the one to do all of the work. They showed up for the miracles, but they failed to hear the message that Jesus was preaching them. Turn away from your old ways and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is now present with you. Be changed. Be transformed. Keep following. We may not be the only ones who will satisfy this urgent physical need, this need to be with other people, this need to have the touch. But we are the only ones who will introduce them and welcome them into the family of God, welcoming those that do not know God. We are the only ones who will help others recognize their need for a Savior. We are the only ones who will show them what it means to be transformed into Christ's image through the daily discipline of prayer, Bible study, service, and sacrifice. We are the only ones who can show them, those that have not found Christ yet, what it means to decide every day to keep following Jesus. We are the only ones who can love them as Christ loved them. Who can make that love tangible and touchable for all? We are called in service. We are called to care. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are the first exposure to Jesus that they will meet. Amen.